0: This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora, and welcome to the best of First Up for Tuesday the 1st of June, call Katrina Battenaho. In today's pod, Margaret Mahi's former Banks Peninsula home goes up for sale National's deputy leader Shane Reti talks about our relationship with Australia, vaccines and the Canterbury floods. And we hear about the beginning of the cleanup for Ashburton as residents look to return home. But first, this week on Trade Me, a really, really long hummer and another item for your Things Signed by Jacinda Ardern collection. But first, producer Jeremy Parkinson talks with Trade Me's Millie Sylvester about an incredible house on the Banks Peninsula once owned by New Zealand's most loved children's author, Margaret Mahi.
1: This just popped up on site a couple of days ago and it is a four bedroom, one bathroom house in Governors Bay down in Christchurch. And yes, it did belong to the renowned Kiwi author. Unsurprisingly if you look through the photos of this house a lot of the rooms boast a lot of bookshelves which is really cool to see and it is in that beautiful mid-century style so a really cool house here. Now there are actually some Kiwis who would love to see this sort of marked as a historic house for inspiring writers. So since it's been listed, there has been a lot of discussion about who should buy this house and what should be done with it. But it's just really cool to kind of flick through and see, you know, where where all of these amazing books and stuff, you know, were, were written. You can kind of even imagine her sitting in in the corner of one of these little nooks and crannies of this house, just writing away. Way. So very cool house on site. Definitely would encourage people to have a look. And I guess we'll see sort of, you know, who ends up owning it and what ends up happening with it.
2: I'd be hoping for a meadow with a lion and a witch in the cherry tree. That's what I'd be hoping for. <laughs> that would be perfect, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's it's really amazing. And you wonder, it, you know, aspiring writers could own it or use it or borrow it or whatever, but then I could own it too. So I'll be fighting you for this one. It really is a superb example of that mid-century architecture and style. It's just awesome, and my furniture would look great in it, just saying.
1: And also, I think one thing to just take a look at is the price you know, in, in comparison to many other places around around the country. It's got an RV of 640,000. So not many four-bedroom houses um, now, particularly in Wellington or Auckland, would go for, for for that cheap. So, you know, it could be a bargain as well with a really cool piece of history.
2: And the view of Governor's Bay. I mean, it's just beautiful. Yeah, yeah amazing. Yeah. Next up, a Lego, a Jacinda Ardern Lego figure. Tell, tell me more about this one. Yes,
1: so um, everyone knows the little mini figures of Lego that you, you will have seen. Well, Lego actually created a Jacinda Ardern figurine in celebration of International Women's Day. So this is a really cool little piece, and it's got Jacinda holding a Unite Against COVID-19 sign. And she's actually signed the box that the minifigure comes in, and she's signed on the COVID-19 sort of poster that she's holding too. So it's a really, really cool piece. And I think it's great that they've done this and, you know, sort of themed it around her COVID-19 response, which I suppose internationally now she's been, you know, really renowned for. So this is raising money um, for the Chopper Appeal, which has been on all of May. And the proceeds will go towards the Westpac Chopper and all of the amazing works that they do. So um, a very cool little figurine here. Um, the seller is based down in Christchurch and it's only had 500 views so far and it's up to $255. Still a bargain, I think, in my opinion, to be honest. And that one closes on Friday the 4th at 8 o'clock. So lots of time to still get in and, um, and take a look and take your bid.
2: And one of the things uh, on the site that seemingly Doesn't have Jacinda's autograph on it, and you could buy for the same price as the mid century uh, Margaret Mahi house as a 2003 Hummer H2 limousine. Now, you don't see these every day, and you'd have to get a bigger garage, I guess. You
1: absolutely would have to get a bigger garage, and this thing, I have to say, would be a pain to park. So it is a 2003 Hummer H2 limo, a beautiful big black stretch Hummer. It seats 16 people, so you know um, it's quite quite roomy and spacious in the back. I'd say plenty of leg room. It actually comes with its own jukebox, which is quite cool too. Of course, it does. Um, why, of course, if, you know, if you've got a Hummer that big or you could afford to pay for a Hummer this size, of course you've got your own jukebox and a car. You now the asking price is $649,000, so this one doesn't come cheap, but um, you you would definitely turn heads driving around in this sort of thing. And I think you might, you might actually get a few more mates too, I think.
2: Well, uh, um, quite cool. You'd, you'd turn a few heads, but you wouldn't be able to turn many corners. No,
1: no, absolute nightmare to park. And um, if you live in Wellington, I would strongly advise this might not be the car for you on on those tiny streets. But hey, you, you never know. I mean, it would make a pretty cool a pretty cool ride. It would be a good talking point.
2: And you say you can sure. invite your mates, but I don't even know sixteen people to start with. <laughs>
1: Neither do I, to be honest with you. But um, but hey, I mean, it, it would be fun. It would—you'd be able to throw one hell of a party, that's for
2: sure. And for the price of an Auckland house, you could have the mid-century modern Margaret Mahi Place and the Hamalamo. So
0: yes, perfect. exactly. That was Trade Me's Emily Sylvester. Now for our weekly chat with Nationals Deputy Leader Shane Retty. Our host Nathan Rareri caught up with Dr Retty and asked him about Scott Morrison's visit to Aotearoa, the COVID-19 vaccine rollout, the concerning Indian variant of the virus and Nick Smith retiring, but started by asking him about the devastating floods in Canterbury.
3: Yeah, really sorry for the folks of Canterbury. I mean, not of their choosing a natural disaster. Uh, you know, clearly all of New Zealand is thinking for them, thinking about them. And uh, we're just waiting now, I think, for more information to come back so we can better identify their need. Uh, we've got a couple of MPs down there, and so and Nicola Grigg and and Waimakariri, Matt Ducey, and uh, they're working really hard with their community, seeing how they can be helpful. And that, that's the position we want to be. How can we be helpful? And I, I think at this point, we're all just getting more information, letting the first responders feed that back, letting the big organisation, the Federated Farmers and Dairy NZ, get in amongst it, do an inventory, and then let us know how we can be helpful.
4: Mm, uh, the weather didn't put um, the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, from coming across. <laughs> do you get a chance to, to meet with him?
3: I don't get a chance to meet with him, but uh, Judith does get a chance to meet with him. Right. Uh, that's, that's part of how these sort of arrangements go. So uh, no, I, I haven't met with him yet.
4: So what, what sort of issues were you as a National Caucus hoping that she
3: would raise? Well, you know, without actually getting a debrief uh, from Judith, I probably shouldn't comment on that as to what was able to be covered. But one could reasonably expect it would be things around trade and foreign relations. You know, we'd, we'd want to see what was on their agenda, uh, what they wanted to discuss and what they wanted to share with the um, opposition leader. And then um, have some thinking about um, how, we, you know, how we can go forward as two countries.
4: I guess the tension with Australia over China, does that
3: concern you? Look, it, it is a tension. But, you know, we've always worked well with Australia and um, we're pleased to be part of Five Eyes and uh, how we can all work together in the Pacific region to be the honest brokers, particularly as New Zealanders, the honest brokers that we're known in the international community. Uh, That's the position we need to continue to maintain. That's the posture we need to maintain. That's what got us onto the Security Council. And so I think in in these matters, we need to stay as the honest broker.
4: Mm. Melbourne has got 11 new COVID cases that have been reported, several cases now in a rest home, which is, you know, is is tragic news. At what point do do we just press pause on the entire Trans-Tasman bubble completely, not just the state of Victoria?
3: Yeah, so, you know, we need to take each case on its merits. And my goodness, this is going to be hard for the folks in Melbourne. This is their fourth or their fifth. This is going to be really hard. Mm. And I think what we need to remember when we talk about the bubble, we always need to remember that our position in this is predicated on three things one, that our border is strong, two, that we've got a robust community response if we need it, and three, that the vaccination program is rolling out satisfactorily. And with those caveats, uh, we've been supportive of travel bubbles. And so it's always been the ability for either party to say, look, we actually need to pause here now. Uh, We have something that we're managing and they did the same for us just as as we've done for them. And that's not a tit for tat. That's solely a look, what does the science tell us? What is the safest for the bubble? And we we respect and understand that and they respect and understand us. So I, I think at this point, the settings as they are, would seem to be safe, but we just need to, on both sides of the Tasman, continue to be vigilant, continue to be safe and watchful, and I I think we'll see how this unfolds, and we we just really hope it, it reaches a conclusion really quickly for them.
4: Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, vaccination is something that we have a look at and think, well, this will be the whole planet's protection, hopefully, as we move forward. And, you know, uh, we've been comparing ourselves with Australia a lot through, but just the latest figures through from 562,149 vaccine doses, that uh, that's at least one dose per 11.5% of our population, whereas in front of me here with Australia, I've, I've got here a shot per 16% of their population. So why do you think the Aussie government is getting a much harder time than Jacinda Ardern's administration is for these low numbers?
3: It's hard to say, but it's probably the fact that they've got active cases still. It's still in the forefront of people's minds. And so they're raising the question, why isn't the vaccine rollout progressing more speedily? You know, we're going to need to be watchful on our soil as well. We need to be watchful around, you know, have we got enough vaccinators, what I call the front end? Have we got enough vaccinators? And thankfully, I'm hearing primary care GPs and chemists are now uh, going to be able to give the vaccine. I'm really pleased to hear that. I think a little bit latish, but but here it is. So let's pick it up and let's really uh, get them involved. I think that they're going to be key to having a successful rollout. And then we've continued to have some concerns around the IT, the ability to record and uh, analyse and get good data quickly uh, has been the back-end concern we've had about the vaccine. So um, we're just really hopeful that all all of those bits can come together and as we move into Group 4, which is the wider population of New Zealand, that we're going to be ready and able to speedily move through that vaccination programme.
4: Are you happy that we gone just with Pfizer, like with all our eggs in one basket, rather than spreading it across various sorts?
3: Look, I, I am. I do What's support that? the Pfizer vaccine. In fact, well, I'll be having the Pfizer vaccine next week. So that's the best recommendation yeah. um, I could give. And, and also, in the back of my mind, I've just always been a bit watchful around having multiple vaccines. It's a bit like having multiple antibiotics, that risk of breeding resistance. And generally with a vaccination program, you just like to have one vaccine as far as possible. I mean, it's what we do mostly with our other vaccination programs, we did a little bit different with flu last year because we ran out of the flu vaccine. So we brought in the unused double strains from the, well, they were quadrivalent, but only two strains were working from the UK. But generally you just like to stay with one set of vaccine, one set of potential side effects, one dose to draw up. It's the same dose each time, the same operating procedures. That's generally what you like to do with a mass vaccination program. Now, if we run out of supply, and the risks outweighed the benefits, then, then we would have moved to the AstraZeneca or, or the Novavax or uh, the Janssen-Janssen vaccine, and we'd have just said the risks outweigh the benefits, let's do that. But generally, with a mass vaccination programme, you like to have one stable vaccine that you know and understand has a consistent operating procedure, and that's what you roll out. Right.
4: How concerned are you, as, as I'm going to ask you to keep your doctor's hat on, how concerned are you mm-hmm. about that Indian variant? Because it it seems like a very crafty thing that finds its way and spreads very, very quickly and easily.
3: Yeah, worried. Uh, that, that is the risk. of The increased transmissibility with the Indian variant is a concern. I mean, we, we were concerned with the UK variant when it happened. We were concerned with the South African variant. We were concerned with the Brazilian, the South American variant. Mm. And uh, the Indian variant seems to be the next strain that is a step up again. And so we, we need to be very, very watchful. Thank goodness for genomic testing. That uh, gives us a quick look at what the strains involved might be. Yeah.
4: Uh, just finally, can you tell us why, why did Nick um, Smith d- decide to leave now or why did he resign?
3: Look, I'm not really able to comment on an employment matter. Uh, that's something for uh, Nick uh, and his team. But uh, what I can say is it's been a privilege to work with Nick and his 30 years of mm. service to New Zealand. And so, you know, I'd like that to be at the forefront of people's minds as well through this difficult time. But th- those sort of employment matters um, will need to be between Nick and between the employment people.
0: Deputy Leader of the Opposition, Shane Rettie. Canterbury residents who fled the devastating floods are beginning to return home to pick up the pieces and start cleaning their waterlogged properties. There is still the possibility of more rain today, Tuesday, but it's not expected to be nearly as bad as Monday or Sunday when several months' worth fell in the space of 48 hours. Our reporter Alice Stewart is in Ashburton, one of the areas worst affected by the floods. We've got three young kids,
5: three under five, so we had to make a quick decision to leave. We couldn't get our car out of our driveway, so we, the civil defence came and picked us up and came aboard us here. Shaken and tired, but safe. Lishai Tetehati and her family are among the evacuees at Hakatere Marae, which has been set up as a welfare centre to look after victims of the flood. The last time she saw her home, it was surrounded by rapidly rising water. Very scary, yeah, you could, um, so there's the Hines River and that is bone dry, normally bone dry, so it was rushing pretty fast, yeah, and then there's like a Like a ditch and then a stop bank and then there's our house and that ditch was filling up and it was, by the time we were leaving it was coming over that stop bank. So there was a big moat around our house. She was feeling pretty stressed not knowing what's happened to her family's home. Oh to be honest I don't know. I'm hoping it's okay. Mm. Um, Our landlord has texted and said that the house seems to be fine but we don't know what it's like inside so... Malani, Ngabeke and her family were trying to get home to Timaru from Christchurch, where they'd spent the weekend, but emergency services told them there was no way through. They're sending us back, because I think they say um Kansas, water is coming up, and also Timuka. Yeah. And what, what's it been like staying here overnight? It's alright, yeah, nothing much to do, but we're so grateful that the Mara is open, they open the doors for us to come in, yeah. And what's coming in the next couple of days, what are you expecting in the next couple of days? I'm not too sure because we just, my husband is just trying to get an uh, update so we can go back to tomorrow, yeah, so I'm not too sure what's going to happen. The Marais coordinator for the event, Tania Rubin, says they're trying to make it a home, away from home. But people are concerned about their houses and loved ones.
1: Some of them are so displaced and they're worried about other family members that have been left behind and their pets that have been left behind. So, yeah.
5: Where are people coming from and and how far have people come from? must be travelling ages. A
1: lot of them are coming down from Christchurch but they're travelling through. So they've got destinations beyond Ashburton. There's a couple of families here that are heading down, way down south, and um, some that are just trying to get home on this side of the Heinz River.
5: How How have they been feeling, people coming through?
1: I think they're okay. I just worry that it goes on for too
4: long.
5: Members of the Defence Force have joined Police, Fire and Emergency, St John Ambulance, Civil Defence and Council staff, as well as animal welfare workers at Ashburton's District Council's Emergency Operations Centre, where the response to the crisis is being coordinated. Ashburton's Mayor Neil Brown allowed first up inside to get an idea of the logistics involved.
6: Uh, they're all getting on very well, they're all linked in together, you'll see a screen up there on the wall with um, messages going up um, as they're all feeding into it, so everyone knows what everyone else is doing. Um, Some of the questions are going up, and others, have got the answers to them, and they're putting the answers up and sending resources out to where it's needed.
5: So it's like a a smooth machine here?
6: Uh, Pretty much, yeah, yep, and they're doing 12-hour shifts. Uh, They'll change over again at 7 o'clock tonight, and they'll go right through the night till 7 in the morning.
5: The army is on standby should they be needed to help with further evacuations.
6: We've got a, um, another map on a wall over here that if the banks did burst, uh, it shows where the water would go. So it's um, about 1,700 people, 1,700 houses would be affected, so um, they know where that would uh, they would go in. Tap on the doors and start evacuating if need be. And then
5: would they get in trucks and be driven out?
6: Yeah, uh, yeah. They've got they've got the big um, army trucks here, the six wheelers. They've got three of them down here. Yeah, uh, we've had a couple of police crews come down from Christchurch as well, and uh, we've had fire. Fire is also in here.
5: Mr. Brown says the extent of the damage is beginning to become apparent.
6: Uh, we know there's five bridges, uh, four bridges out there that are, um, need replacing or fixing. Uh, we've got reports of roads come in which have been holes gouged out of them, tar seal lifted off. So, uh, in the next few days, when the water recedes, the crew will go out and they'll start assessing what's going to cost to fix it. But it won't be uh, cheap.
0: Ashburton's Mayor Neil Brown. And from Ashburton, our reporter Alice Stewart spoke with Nathan.
4: Okay, so what's the latest where you are?
0: Okay, well, Civil Defence Canterbury expects the region can start moving into
7: clean-up mode today, but um, Ashburton remains cut off by floodwaters um, with State Highway 1 out of action. But Waka Kotahi did open the Selwyn River Bridge last night for just two hours between 8pm and 11pm to allow traffic through. It was only a central travel, but they're reassessing it in the morning, so in the next couple hours, and so far it's looking like it's going to reopen at 5.30 tonight. Um, The rain has been easing, Um, there's been Some kind of sporadic showers overnight, Um, but we're not out of the woods yet. Uh, Fishers are kind of warning that rainwater is continuing to arrive in the high country, so there may be more um, water rises. And I just got off the phone with the Fire and Emergency Southern Communications Centre shift manager, Lynn. She told me that emergency crews had a very quiet night and did not receive any calls regarding flooding and did not attend any major incidents, which is
4: great. That is fantastic news. Um, So nothing overnight for them, but talk us through the damage that the flood has caused.
7: Yes, so we know that at least four bridges have been damaged by the flood and around 16 roads still remain closed today additionally um, the Mayor did say yesterday that residents should be cautious because even some roads that are open the floods have created large holes which you will have heard him just say before which is why central travel is, is only what people should be doing right now dozens of homes have sustained um, flood damage, some of those are uh, in outlying areas and yet to be assessed so we're not completely sure. Our Farmers are, have been among the worst affected with paddocks underwater and large numbers of stock um, have thought to have perished. So it's going to be quite an expensive clean-up and we'll get a better idea today of what that clean is going to look like.
4: We, uh, we embedded you there uh, so you were uh, out and about yesterday. What was it yes. like from, from your perspective?
7: Well, it, it was kind of chaotic but they seemed to have it under control. Um, you know, it. it Everyone doesn't seem in the best spirits. Um, you know, we spoke to a lot of farmers, but we couldn't even get to them. You know, we would stop on the side of the road and it was the flood rushing down. The current was so strong on the side of the road, we couldn't even get across the road to speak to the farmers to kind of get them on tape. But they were yelling at us saying, you know, the water is inches from my home. I don't know what to do with my animals. Can you help? And we're like, well, we can call someone, but there's not much we can do. We can't even get to them.
4: Wow. So, I mean, this event, do do we call it over?
7: Well, the Ashburton Mayor is urging people to keep their bags packed um, in case they need to leave their homes in a hurry. Um, While River River levels are starting to go down. There's still a lot of uh, water flowing in the high country that you know is keeping those rivers full. Um, people are being advised to avoid non-central travel like I said before. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is also expecting to visit the region today and she'll be arriving in Christchurch around 8am this morning um, and kind of doing a fly through and seeing that damage. Um, but hopefully we'll get a bit of sunshine today to soak up some of
0: those floodwaters and bring those river levels down. Alice Stewart, our reporter in Ashburton. Thanks for listening to the best of First Up. Matewa